Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's show. We have a good one for you, as always. We're keeping you posted with the latest results here live on Thursday night around 11. Could Biden close in on 270 while we are on the air? It is a distinct possibility. Could he officially seal the deal in one of those states, Arizona, Georgia, Nevada in some cases, or Arizona in some cases, Nevada, Pennsylvania. Those are the states that we are watching tonight as Donald Trump lies in the White House briefing room. The network's pulling the plug, still going with that harmful election rhetoric, slamming his fingers all over the buttons of democracy and state. But the state is saying so long to Donald Trump. Meanwhile, how the Democrats are taking care of their losses. Claire McCaskill blaming talking too nice about the transsexuals on MSNBC. Oh, those goddamn transsexuals. Am I right, Claire? And Abigail Spanberger and others melting down about socialism in seats all across the country. And the harmful rhetoric of things like raising the minimum wage and passing Medicare for all. (gasps) Impossible. No, these people lost because they suck. We will get into it and we will get into what should be done about it as well. We are live tonight as the race for 270 comes to a close. This is News Flash. My name is Spencer Walsh. We start with the latest today as the counting continues. Biden is cutting into Trump's lead in Pennsylvania and Georgia. We continue to monitor all this live here with the updates on the paths to victory. Um, Here is some of what Joe Biden had to say as the vote counting process played out. And again, you will, and in the clips we'll play here, we will know the tone difference. The vote is sacred. It's how people of this nation express their will. And it is the will of the voters. No one, not anything else, that chooses the President of the United States of America. So, each ballot must be counted. And that's what we're going to see going through now. And that's how it should be. Democracy is sometimes messy. It sometimes requires a little patience as well. But that patience has been rewarded now for more than 240 years with a system of governance and that's been the envy of the world. And we continue to feel, Senator and I, we continue to feel very good about where things stand. We have no doubt that when the count is finished, Senator Harris and I will be declared the winners. So, yeah, so there is Biden there projecting confidence, staying relatively... uh, cogent sounding, which is nice. Uh, And again, with the winner of the presidency yet to be declared, attention shifted to Thursday uh, to a handful of states that remain too close to call, where on balance, Joe Biden seemed to have an advantage and the candidates pressed their cases in the state of the race. Uh, One of them doing it through completely insane, mashing his hands on, pressing every button he can, and finding that none of them will work. All the avenues that we were so scared about before the election and the possibility that Trump may be able to uh, somehow use his his charm and looks and goodwill, I guess, uh, and all all the levers that seem to be at his disposal to to push things off. But 
as we will get into things, are going away. I mean, just if, if we're looking at this current situation we have right now, um, with President Trump calling, again, a news conference at the White House where he made false and baseless claims about illegal votes, secret counts, and how forces were working to steal the election from him, saying, quote, it's amazing how those mail-in ballots are so one-sided, he said at one point, and ABC, CBS, and NBC all cut away with his false statements as they mounted, um, yeah, just to get people to not talk about that. In several states, Trump's campaign pressed ahead with lawsuits challenging the voting account as protests erupted in cities and outside uh, some elections offices. And this is really what we have. We have a situation where um, if I were to pull up just the elections, just to give you a sense of how things stand, uh, the states that are kind of outstanding at the moment, the closest one is one that's been already called in a lot of different places. Actually, the closest one is Georgia right now. It is... Wow, as I just checked, it is just about now 2,000 votes in Georgia. Insanely close um, uh, insanely close margin here. It is just razor thin um, uh, where Trump is up 40. It's 49.4 now to 49.4. Less than, yeah, less than 2,000 votes separating the two contenders there. Uh, North Carolina, Trump has a full 50% of the vote there um, to Biden's 48.6. See, we've had that about 95% of the votes in and mail mail ballots postmarked by Election Day are accepted until November 12th. So in Arizona, we have a 50.1 to 48.5 Donald Trump lead. um, And the question about that is how many of those ballots in in an unexpectedly high amount of mail-in ballots um, are going for Trump there, so that is still a little bit doubt. But Arizona largely on track for a uh, Trump or uh, Biden victory. Biden also really locking things up in Nevada, but still incredibly close for a state that they thought they would win by maybe four or five points. A co- what should be a pretty comfortable Democratic state if they paid attention to it. And another thing, if you're looking at right here, is Texas, where. Pretty much the big theme again is again is just to break down the election map here for a little bit. I I, I do want to get before we get into some of this other stuff. Uh, I do want to to break down the election maps. Just kind of go from key point to key point here. We we already talked about Georgia. Um, from what we can tell, the remaining votes of that uh, could be in Clayton County, uh, which is kind of the Atlanta area suburbs, kind of in Georgia's also fifth district, which is funnily enough where uh, John the former John Lewis district. Um, they will have a lot more votes there. That is pretty much the, the infinitesimally small uh, percentage of vote they have left to count. That is in a pretty solid Biden area. But we will not. This is one way we will not know until every single vote is counted because it is that close. As we see, very, very possible Biden could take the lead as we get the last little trickle of votes in. And it's very, very possible that could happen while we are live here on air tonight. Uh, that would be quite something. Uh, but Arizona, 90%. lot can happen in 10%. That is, I think, a state that is worth highlighting. Nevada is very, very likely to go for Trump. And we are, sorry, in, for Biden. And in terms of Pennsylvania, that is another very, very interesting thing. And now a margin now less than 1%, uh, 0.4%, and what looks to be less than 30,000 uh, votes separating. Trump and Biden in Pennsylvania now with about 95% of the ballots. And the remaining mail ballots are, again, expected to 
favor Democrats, so that is tilting there in the Biden dire- uh, direction. So it's Georgia, North Carolina. It's going to be the big one that is going to go to Trump. Interestingly enough, so few mail-in ballots are not counted the in in the Senate, um, but um, in the Senate race up there in Alaska, Al Gross not given up. It's a bull claim, but it's interesting. There's still so many mail ballots, so he's going to wait and see on that. I mean, it would be at least nice to have one Democratic senator. Um, yeah, um, it it really would be nice to have one Democratic senator in there just to, due to the an extra Democratic senator just due to the fact that Georgia, in all likelihood, will not be going in, in any kind of way uh, blue. Um, just again, and really in some certain areas, an epic, epic failure for the Democrats. And two, and, and really one big area, which is Latino vote. Boy, did they lose it. Chuck Rocha, uh, a former, he was the guy who really, in a large part, engineered Bernie Sanders' big um, record, record support with Latino voters during the primaries. And he was like, oh, yeah, he was one of the Bernie people who was probably the most conciliatory towards Joe Biden, really wanted to work with Joe Biden, and really emphasized that Latino vote would be so, so important. Um to the chances of Donald uh, of Joe Biden winning the election and really winning it by a, a big amount, and literally looking back at some of the results, it's very very possible that if they had had at least normal or at least somewhat maybe even a little bit better Latino turnout than Hillary had, they would have won won Florida and Texas. Um, if they had been able to get there and actually go into the Cuban communities, um. Or at least do do something to like reach out to the Latino communities so that the Cuban communities' voices won't be wouldn't be as powerful. Uh, like correct some misinformation. I mean, there was a tons and tons of misinformation, but this is the thing: there was a tons and tons of information by the Trump campaign in places like uh, Broward and Miami Dade, which was a ten point ten point um, leftward swing or sorry rightward swing for for Donald Trump. Ten point. Um, Loss. Hillary Clinton had 63. Joe Biden had 53. 46% of the vote in Miami-Dade County for Donald Trump. Just super, super high. Uh, Broward went down a little bit. Hendry County, all the counties up the right-hand coast of Florida, which is supposed to be the most liberal part of it, um, they went drastically away from Joe, uh, from from Joe Biden, and those votes were the votes that pretty much sacrificed the state for him on the kind of southwest part of texas um for example a big one caldwell or sorry yeah that's maverick county 54.3 to 44.9 with 98 percent of the votes in right there uh 16,000 votes only for joe biden that's a huge probably at least 20 point swing star county is a great example of that but it's around a 30 point swing Right word for for Joe Biden. Uh, Hillary Clinton crushed in that county last time around. Matt, so it's not just Cuban American voters. I mean, the thing with Cuban American voters is, I think the biggest part of it was Trump came in there, actually spoke to them, and said a bunch of BS, which was, "Oh, Joe Biden's a socialist." Biden was behind a month, a month, on putting ads in that area. So uh, it's really not the most crazy thing to. To see something that is remotely, um, remotely close like that, but it 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 is just an absolutely stunning, stunning thing, and the, the refusal to reach out and actually like say, "Hey, I'm Joe Biden. Here's what I want to actually do for you." And again, not seeing the path to victory here, 
I mean, voter suppression was you could, you could say voter suppression, especially in a place like Texas uh, and maybe in a place like Florida as well. But voter suppression was it really that much worse than uh, than twenty sixteen? But we there there is a big it, it definitely could be a bit of both, but there definitely is a big big part of what we see there that is a that is a very clear and very very direct repudiation and something the Democrats really need to think of in terms of the Latino vote. Massive rightward swings in Texas and massive rightward swings in Florida were really what gave Trump those two two states. He has a lot of Latino voters to thank um, if he can, by some miracle, actually win this fairly, um, which, I mean, at, at this point seems very, very unlikely uh, with 253 slash 264, depending on what you think about Arizona, uh, Biden pretty much on the cusp of um, of winning. And if Pennsylvania goes tonight, it is interesting, very, very interesting. So Democrats are urging Georgia to fix absentee ballots that were rejected because of invalid, invalid or missing signatures uh, before the, the deadline on Friday evening. Uh, another protest by supporters of President Trump unfolded on Thursday night in front of the Phoenix building where ballots were being counted in Arizona's largest county. Philadelphia releases its first batch of results in hours around half an hour ago, netting Biden more than 10,000 votes on the Trump lead. Again, in Pennsylvania, it's now down to 26,000 votes as of 31 minutes ago. So we're going to keep you posted on all of that stuff. Um, yeah, and meanwhile, we can talk about how we can talk about how Donald Trump re- reacted. It is a day after two days now of results just continuing to erode for him. All real possibility of any sort of success on this on this front has completely faded away. Um, and that that's hitting it's hitting him harder. Like there's there's other plans being speculated. There's the Republican Party is kind of being thrown into uh, the next fight for leadership. I guess you could say. Uh, which is going to be taking place probably indirectly until 2024, unless, as some speculated, Trump runs, ag- runs again. And what will happen then? That is a whole real situation because no matter what happens, no matter what happens, no one accepts that base like Donald Trump. So I think it is going to be it is going to be very very interesting to see. Uh, what happens with the future of the Republican Party. But make no mistake, I call this episode Schrodinger's election for a reason. Like, there are huge, huge embarrassments and huge, huge holes being exposed on both sides for this one. A lot of things that a lot of people need to get up. But we'll get to the Democrats here in the second half of our show. But this is really a testament to how far the Republican Party has fought. Like, we see George Bush, George H.W. Bush. I mean, the, the way that just the former generation of Republicans that were really the peak of evil, the peak of efficiency and the peak of just deadly, deadly capability. Like they could get, they could get this done. No problem. Like tw- look, look at what happened in 2000 election was stolen for you. And so many Americans, they're just none the wiser was in broad daylight, completely stolen. And so few Americans actually know that fact. And look at all the disastrous things that really resulted for the first Bush term alone. Those people, like Bush, like he learned it, it wasn't really the same with the younger Bush, but the first Bush was a stone cold killer. Like he was evil with a capital E and he knew how to get the job done. Um, and it, it really is a sign of how far the Trump, Trump team's fall. Like they're like, they are put there, first of all, in a position where they can't win. 
by just saying stop the count, stop the count in one state because saying stop the count uh, when there's multiple states counting and you really would like them to count in some states and really not want them to count in some other states, that is a very dis- just kind of impossible argument to make. So you are put in a very bad situation that way. And that is what we see. That's what we see happening here with Trump. Like that is definitely what we see happening here with Trump. And the pretty much general consensus on any kind of legal challenge that he's mounting is it's going to be broadly BS. Um, but still, it, it really is remarkable to see like people like Jared Kushner going, Oh, uh, can we get a, can we get a James Baker on the line? But James Baker left town a long, long time ago. Um, he like he he is not he's not necessarily a Biden fan, but I don't know people people like James like the the it's almost it's a really great point that I heard, but it is it's really interesting to see how the Republican base has now like the the position that were once filled by the James Bakers of the world, by the Carl Rose, by the Dick Cheney's, the George H. W. Bushes, the real stone cold killers who did the most evil and who created the American uh who who created America, who shaped the beast that is the American like national security state and really just the way America like they, they're the people who, who are behind the curtain uh and a lot of the stuff and have been behind some of those evil things we've done over the last fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty years. Um, like those people, they are, it's a generation that has come and gone. Let's just put it that way. These are the people now that they brainwash coming back to take their place. Like people like Mike Pence that were, and this is, just, it's the same thing with the Soleimani thing. It's the same thing with the, the things like overthrowing these, these, uh, overseas, um, enemies, of the United States, they cannot do it anymore. They just can't, they don't have the power. They do not have the will, um, it is just a really the same people who like were kind of the foot soldiers of the revolution the last time are now in charge and they do not have the wits about them to get it done. We have people like Donald Trump and people like Jared Kushner and people like Steve Bannon absolutely losing their minds calling for Fauci to be beheaded. Like it is a really just a sight to see the the full and final last gasp of the the incompetent really just general idiocy of, the, of all the people kind of associated with Trumpism and it is I don't know it's it's not very impressive let's just let's just say that it is kind of it is pr- frankly pretty pathetic but we will see we will see it is it is quite something to see how how, how far uh, Trump has has fallen <laughs> right now we got we got Bill Steppy and the campaign manager accusing people of prematurely writing off Trump at various Junctures in since the 2016 presidential primary, Donald Trump is alive and well. He said, "I think he means that literally." Uh, that is actually a pretty important update, considering how bad he looked at the, at the press conference. Uh, in his public comments since the election, Biden has stopped short of declaring victory, as Trump did prematurely on election night. And on Thursday, he decided to strike a conciliatory note as he addressed the nation. But he also had a warning for the Trump team, saying, "Quote: Power can't be taken or asserted; it flows from the people, and it is their will who will be the." Who determines who will be the president of the United States and their will alone? So he's pretty much just playing kind of normal, normal president. Um, all right, let's do a pretty much quick swing through the remaining states here at this point. 
Um, Georgia, 16 electoral votes, and Trump leads Biden right now 49.4 to 49.4 with 98% of estimated vote in, about 18,000 votes separating them at this point. Very, very close. Uh, Meanwhile, Pennsylvania, 20 electoral votes. Trump leads Biden 49.6 to 49.2%, 94% of estimated voting, and it's about 36,000 votes separating them. Uh, The state's top election official said that late Thursday, the counties were still counting and did not give a direct answer as to how many ballots were outstanding. Estimating was around several hundred thousand. She didn't offer, again, any timetable as to when it would be complete. Um, Nevada has six electoral votes, and Trump is uh, down by about a percent. 89% of the votes, 90% of the votes are in, and 11,000 votes are separating them. Nevada has about 190,000 ballots still to be counted, the Secretary of State said Thursday afternoon, and 90% of them are for, from Las Vegas, Trump County, where Biden, uh, Clark County, uh, where Biden currently leads by eight percentage points. All the election day vote has been counted, leaving only Democratic-leaning late mail and provisional ballots to be tabulated, and with Biden's lead, that looks very good. Here's Arizona. Um, so 15 electoral votes. Biden is up 50. Or sorry, Trump leads Biden. Sorry. Yeah. Arizona, 11 electoral votes, 50. 50.1 to 48.5 with 80% of the vote in there. Meanwhile, North Carolina, uh, Trump leads Biden 50% to 48.6 with 95% of the estimated votes in. Uh, with most votes now tabulated, Biden would need to win two-thirds of the remainder double-head mail-in ballots postmarked by Election Day will be accepted until November 12th. So that's definitely a tough look for Biden on North Carolina. The only real mistake that I had on my map. Thank you very much. Uh, all right. Yeah, we're, we're going to get into this more of this, this GOP thing in a second. This is the Spencer Walsh Radio Network. So, 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 here is the question. We are watching things very closely tonight. be pretty cool if we can find out Trump winning, or, or sorry, Biden winning uh, on the air. So we could we could do the call, but you know what I think we can call is we can call Nevada going to Joe Biden. Thank you very much. Six electoral votes for Joe Biden in Nevada. Yes, let's go. Yeah, so yeah, the word coup, we we we've heard a lot about it. It's been it's been getting thrown a lot around a lot in the past 24 hours largely because the president of the United States like went on TV at 3 a.m. on Wednesday and basically said he was going to attempt one. Uh granted the president of the United States is again, it's an enormous lying moron and says stuff like this all the time, but this afternoon it certainly appears that he is going to give it his best shot. Uh, appeared that way throughout the afternoon as we continue to see the the bogus lawsuits, the public tantrums and the extremely forceful whining. Uh, it doesn't seem to be going great for them, though. Uh, take, for instance, what appears to be today, uh, what happened in Detroit today, uh, where some people tried and failed to prevent what appears to be a crucial victory for Biden in Michigan. Election officials were busy counting votes from the TCF Center in downtown Detroit. These ballots are largely from Detroit areas and are uh, from the Detroit area are largely expected to go uh, for Biden, giving the, him the last boost he needs to wrap the state up. 
According to New York Times, Biden is currently ahead in Michigan by roughly 60,000 votes. But that lead will probably increase as the final votes from Wade County get tallied up. So, obviously, the GOP does not want this to happen because it means they will most likely lose the presidency. So, earlier today, Macon County GOP, uh, again, the Red Lee County, north of Detroit, put up a call for poll challengers and volunteers. So, pretty much just people who are going to sit there and yell at the people trying to do the job, probably with guns, uh, put out a thing that said, emergency, all hands on deck, train, poll challengers, and volunteers willing to be trained Needed immediately at TCF Center Cobo Hall. So this is some of the the fracas that played out. And you hear that? That's a Trump Karen there. Does he have authority to do that like that? And not even wearing a mask. Yeah, I mean, to, to be clear, both parties do have poll challengers inside the rooms where bo- votes are being counted. And this is again legal; it's normal. It's part of the vote counting process. And challengers are allowed to challenge whether or not something, uh, whether or not someone is registered to vote. They're supposed to abide by a bunch of rules while doing so. They can't get too close to the people counting votes. They can't challenge someone's registration just because the way they look. Only a certain amount of uh, challenges are allowed at a time, again, because of COVID, uh, in, in the room, not challenges, actually. Uh, what the GP has, has done is pretty much to flood the zone with unappointed volunteers or election watchers who are pretty much just people who come in and just do things like that, like cause chaos, like cause, like make, make election people are just like volunteering, trying to count these votes in the most fair way possible. They need to get security now because of these people. It is kind of insane. <sighs> but in the end, looks like Biden. Um, yeah, pretty much looks like Biden uh, won Michigan. So it, it, it didn't really matter. But during the 2000 election, of course, there was something called the Brooks Brothers riot where protesters tried to get city officials to stop recounting votes in Florida. Uh, Republicans later admitted they set the whole thing up and funded it, and it worked. So that is why people are kind of sensitive a little bit to it this time. Um Meanwhile, we have some Democratic news to talk about. Democrats wept, cursed, and traded blame on Thursday through an extraordinary party confab to to dissect the disappointing results of this week's election. Agreeing on little except they needed a deep dive into how they had ended up with painful losses that weakened their House majority instead of the big gains they had boldly predicted. Um, In a caucus meeting held by telephone, that was their first group conversation since Election Day, Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Representative Cherry Bustos, the genius, the managerial genius of these two, uh, managing a, in a a year that Democrats thought they were going to pick up maybe like, I don't know, 10, 50, they were targeting some serious seats uh, and ended up losing eight, I think. Uh, What is it? Yeah, eight now, I'm pretty sure. Um. They said they needed a deep dive and how they ended up with these, with these elections. Um, they they defended their efforts. Sherry Bustos, again, defended her. She defended her seat by about four points. So <laughs> it was very tight. Democrats expressed frustration over the loss of eight of their members and a net loss of six seats with 33 races still undecided that it let them with 
a slimmer margin of control. Party leaders, and again, something that the GOP could easily get back in 2022. They could get the House back. Yes, it's, it's very possible. Uh, party leaders noted that Democrats appeared on track to hold the House thanks to hard-fought victories by incumbents in competitive districts, and that former VP Joe Biden appeared headed toward victory, according to seven people on the call who requested non-anonymity to divulge conversation that was intended to be private. We did not win every battle, but we did win the war, Pelosi said, which again is true, but here's the thing. You're one of the big three commanders in this in this fight, in this three-pronged attack, and you lost pretty much every battle. So, yeah, you lost your war, uh, your your personal war, but you can't you can't just claim other people's work for for yourself. So, uh, yeah, the call lasted about three hours in previous divisions among Democrats over how to wield their power and define their message. Bustos conceded that the way things had gone were, were pretty bad. She said she was gutted and heartbroken by the losses. Something went wrong, she said, uh, blaming incorrect modeling of the electorate and polling and promising a deep dive on the matter. Um, they all pointed to one political environment, but voters who turned out looked a lot like 2016. We predicted the lone firewall in our democracy, she added. Now, hopefully, and probably with Joe Biden to take back the White House, we're in, in a progress position to put our priorities into action because we held on to this fragile majority. It was a bitter pill for Democrats who had ebullient only days, have been ebullient, ebullient only days before about their chances again. Reporting here, apologize, in the New York Times about this. Uh, on election day, Pelosi and Bustos had crowed about their likelihood of success. Pelosi said predictions of the party would even pick up maybe 5, 10, or even 20 seats. And she was worried about fewer than a handful of incumbents. Both women, though, declined to offer their own precise predictions. Uh, but Weiner, Debbie, and uh, <laughs> Debbie Mercarsal Powell and uh, Nancy Pelosi's best friend, who she literally appointed to do patronage with the PPP money, um, it has, it, it's pretty much been uh, over. Uh, yeah, it has been, uh, <laughs> it, ha- it has been very, very interesting. Um, I'm, I'm looking at some, I'm looking at some Twitter uh, news here, which is popping up and actually, actually getting pretty interesting. Um. I do apologize, and I don't know really what the news is because pretty much what I'm looking at is like Dave Wasserman, who's the guy who's on Twitter, is like, I've seen enough all the time. And Nate Silver did a thing where he was like, um, he like did that through. I don't even know. Forget forget about it. I got a little distracted there. I apologize. So pretty much, yeah, the Democrats are freaking out, and Mercarso Powell. She broke into tears as she spoke to her soon to be former colleagues about the internal divides in her party. Um, yeah. And again, this is someone like it should not be hard for you to win this seat. Like this is a deeply it's a pretty democratic district. It's not super democratic, but it is pretty democratic. Um, and again, it is a it's a slightly tighter district. But I think there was a real real big problem they had in South Florida. They were complacent. They took it for granted and they did not offer anybody anything substantive. And I mean, I don't, if for a constituency of around 700,000, you should be able to prove to your people that you're not a socialist, if that's what's, if that's what's killing you so much. And again, DSA back measure for minimum wage raising passed with 60%, 60 plus percent actually in Florida. So that, there's no excuse for that. Um, it is ridiculous. Continue to fight for kids or whatever you believe in. Yeah, yeah, we, we will. Uh, but if you have a problem, pick up the phone. Don't tweet it out. 
Representative Abigail Spanberger, who is um, <laughs> she's really one pretty special one from the, of course, a CIA alum uh, who narrowly escaped defeat on Wednesday in a conservative leading district in Virginia, who's again, whose politics should be like perfect for that district, um, which is a big thing. Uh, said the Democrats have toiled to protect, and she chastised her progressive colleague for embracing the defund the police movement and for not pushing back forcefully against accusations of socialism. If Democrats did not acknowledge the election, election results as a failure, um, <laughs> it's the the just absolute manipulation, the refusal to accept any kind of responsibility, and like literally, I, I it's like. If there were were no Democrats, that if there were no like if the squad didn't exist, and if it was all the people that like Joe Crowley type people in their places, they would still find some way to blame it on. So they would still find some way to blame blame it on the left because they just can't give it up. They can't stop with the corporate money. They can't stop with uh, their people. Like their state reps in Florida saying it right now. If we had tied ourselves to the minimum wage thing because we we thought it would be too risky, that's what the, the Florida Dems thought, and we're also pissed off too many corporate donors, we probably would have won the state. And if we actually tried to campaign with Latinos, we probably would have won the state. Like that is that's all that takes. It's a literally all that takes. And also actually offering something your to your constituents, running on something. Um and I mean honestly, just ugh, I cannot take this this ridiculousness. Um yeah, Pelosi objected, though. She said, we won the House, Abigail. We won it. Uh, Bustos won re-election narrowly, emphasized the success of the so-called frontliners, about mostly 40 freshmen Democrats, including Spamberger, who held seats in a traditionally conservative district. Uh, while some lost this week, most were poised for victory. Uh, these were seats that were in Trump country, and we were able to hold on to 30 seats that are Trump districts. That's no small feat. She also defended the Democrats' offensive push deeper in Republican territory, a move that yielded few pickups, and some members said left incumbents inadequately protected. Uh, losses for Democrats included some freshmen in swing districts, like Joe Cunningham, South Carolina, Chotil uh, Torres, small of New Mexico, Kendra Horn of Oklahoma, and Abby Finkenauer of Iowa, but also a veteran, Colin Peterson of Minnesota, who has led the Agricultural Committee and served on the House for three decades. One of the biggest surprises of election came in South Florida, where Trump made significant inroads among Cuban-Americans, again, with that socialism stuff that Biden failed to counter until a month after Trump started putting Spanish-language ads up in there. Insane. Some some things that we are, uh, we're finding out. Um, Representative James Clyburn, one of my favorites of South Carolina, the third-ranking Democrat, uh, and the first-ranking uh, taker of pharmaceutical contributions uh, said the party needed to overcome racial animus in the election and had to shy away from certain far-left policies that alienate key segments of voters in, if Democrats wanted to win a pair of Senate seats currently in play in Georgia. Yeah, I mean, they're not... Honestly, that's probably true because they're not going to have time to, to remake the whole electorate. The only reason they're competitive there in Georgia is because they're going after former Republicans. Uh, and we'll see how long that lasts and if they can actually do that without Trump going, with, without Trump there, without Trump present. Um, but again, just what losers, what absolute pathetic losers. Never, never will it be their fault. It will always be the left. It will always be the voters for not voting for them. They will never, ever, ever take responsibility. Ever. It is insane. Um Representative Mark Vasey of Texas. Again, this is why Pelosi is never going to get a speaker challenge because the House Democrats are insane. Uh, she, she actually may get it from the right, actually. Um, yeah, so Mark Vesey of Texas warned his fellow members against 
anti-fracking talk, uh, saying to voters it was uh, in Texas, it was they hear take away jobs. Well, I mean, I think really what you do if you can actually if you actually have principles like against fracking, um, and you're not just your campaign isn't. I guarantee, I guarantee you going to his open secrets is going to be a treat. Uh, Mark, what's his name? Mark VC. Mark VC. Uh, let's see. Who we're gonna have to? Um, yeah, Mark VC. V E A S E Y. Open secrets. Pull it up. Let's see. And I do want to see how much of that is is fracking contribution or some some sort of oil and gas contributions. I may be proven wrong here. I may be. Oh, it is his top contributor. What a surprise! One hundred twenty-two thousand, uh, one hundred forty-nine dollars. Woo. Okay, oil and gas, and um, well, actually, uh, uh, fellow members should not be talking about anti-fracking policies. Uh, that's, that's not a good idea. All they hear is take away jobs, jobs, jobs. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Like, send, send in that money. Oh, my gosh. It's just too easy. It's too easy with these people. It is too easy. Cause it's because of fracking. That's one South Texas away from from you. Not just ignoring Hispanics. So, some progressives urged against turning away from liberal, liberal policies that argued that they argued had galvanized their party's, party's core supporters. And they just started acting like it. I mean... Rashid Taleb and Ilhan Omar hand-delivered their states for Joe Biden on a platter, and they should start acting like it. They should start acting like it. Democratic, progressive, sorry, progressive priorities failed, uh, or, sorry, progressive priorities were overwhelmingly successful, where ne- neoliberal priorities failed all across the map last, or uh, a few nights ago, uh, election night, Tuesday night, and it is quite clear uh, Pramila Jayapal, this is a huge win. We didn't get the repudiation of Trump we wanted, but we did get, we turned out huge numbers of young people, brown people, and black people. Don't be so quick to blame the members of this House who have ultimately been responsible for energizing these groups and will save the day in the race for the White House. Um, to be real, it sounds, this is Rashida Taleb, uh, to be real, it sounds like you're saying stop pushing for what black folks want. She said hours into the call, counseling colleagues not to rush to conclusions before studying who turned out to vote. I feel like I'm being asked to be quiet, saying uh, her constituents did not elect her to be quiet. All right, good for her. So at least we got some some people, and I'm, they they have to stop taking this BS because they're going to get to define the narrative. Oh, socialism that lost all these seats. No, moral of the story is we sign off tonight. The House Democrats are incompetent.